Welcome to New Human Living Radio Show, bringing you powerful interviews to awaken the power in you. Learn more at newhumanliving.com. And now your host, Les Jensen. So, what do you do? What do you do when you're daydreaming and, and this vision of your life pops in your head? Perhaps it's a vision of your life where you're doing something totally different than anything you've done in your past. Maybe it's a vision of your life where the the role you're playing, the shoes you fill, are on a completely different trajectory than your past. Or maybe the scale of the vision. Your soul showing you a scale of you fulfilling a life purpose that's totally off the charts from anything you've done in the past. What do you do? You just brush it off and say, huh, huh, wouldn't that be something? Or do you recognize it, especially if it's repetitive, do you recognize it as a potential, uh, a narrative, a timeline of what might happen in your life. I'm excited for tonight's episode. The topic tonight is the unfulfilled destiny of Thomas Jefferson Reborn. And our guest tonight is Joanne DiMaggio. We're going to bring Joanne on in just a minute, but... I want to go back to this, what do you do thought. How how do you even entertain uh, a complete, completely different narrative, a completely different trajectory, if you will, for your life? I know my soul... <laughs> manifest 
your soul's not going to show you a dream, a vision, a purpose for your life without the mechanisms to make it happen. And a lot of times our ego don't doesn't want to take a tangent to walk down a path that it can't see the whole damn path. We really, really, really want, as an ego, show me how it's going to work before I jump in. Show me the whole flipping thing, and then I'll feel confident. Well, I suggest to you that just give yourself the room to feel comfortable, feeling uncomfortable about perhaps a big vision for your life. I I suggest many people on the planet are going to have a big tangent in their life. 2020 kind of turned everything on, on its head. And we're looking for a new paradigm, a new narrative, a more authentic story for humanity. A more authentic story for humanity is a completely different story than 2019. We were nowhere near conscious. We were nowhere near um, discerning. Uh, So many of us were stuck in a pattern in our lives that had the 2020 rototiller come along and turn the dirt over, we would have been stuck in the same narrative. I think a lot of people are going to get visions for their life that are complete tangents. So when you get that big vision, just just hold it with a feather and, and, and give it your imagination, give it your consciousness, and let the, the clarity, the vision grow. Well, I think we're going to have a, a really excellent conversation tonight. It's wonderful having Joanne back on the show. Now, the topic again is the unfulfilled destiny of Thomas Jefferson Reborn. And uh, this is the, the actual title of the book is Edgar Cayce and the Unfulfilled Destiny of Thomas Jefferson Reborn. This book is a very compelling book about life purpose and and free will and the ego. And I think it's time to get to it. On June 23, 1936, Edgar Cayce, the most documented and renowned psychic of the 20th century and the father of holistic medicine, gave a life reading to a two-day-old Thomas Jefferson Davis, the nephew of his secretary, Gladys Davis. In this reading, Edgar Cayce identified one of the child's past life as that of Thomas Jefferson, adding this stunning prediction that he may become more important in the affairs of the world than this entity was in previous experience had been to the United States of America, Thomas Jefferson. This will be a a very curious story. This is the story of the fate of a child that Edgar Cayce so loved and predicted would be the world's redemption, if only. Joanne DiMaggio 
has been actively involved with Edgar Cayce's Association for Research and Enlightenment since 1987 and has been the coordinator for ARE Charlottesville since August 2008. She earned a master's in transpersonal studies degree and her spiritual mentor's certification through Atlantic University. Joanne has given talks on the subject of past life and life between life exploration and soul writing to audiences across the country. She's the author of six books, and you can learn more about her at joannedimaggio.com. Join me in welcoming Joanne to the show. Joanne, it's so nice to have you on the show tonight. Oh, hi, Les. I've been looking forward to our chat tonight. The the notion of, of Edgar Cayce um, giving a, a reading, if you will, to a, a two-day-old boy and, and to lay out the vision of this young boy as a substantial player in really the world what I mean just to even start off with that <laughs> those I mean it kind of sets your it kind of sets the notion of this this uh TJ's TJ Davis's life as being extraordinary and yet as we'll get to tonight it didn't quite turn out so far the way it was expected. What what um, motivated you to <clears throat> excuse me to write this book? Uh, well, I uh, joined the ARE like you said in 1987, um, and up until then I had been uh, in my professional life I had been a, a writer, freelance writer. Um, and an amateur historian. I had majored in history in college. And when I joined the ARE, which was like right after Shirley MacLaine's Out on the Limb was made into a miniseries, and um, I think it woke up a lot of us sleeping metaphysicians at the time, uh, a friend of mine said, did you know that Edgar Casey did a, a life reading on this baby boy and said that he was... Uh, both Thomas Jefferson and Alexander the Great in a previous life. She didn't tell me the rest of it. She didn't tell me the part about could do for this country what Jeff, uh, could do for the world what Jefferson did for this country. And I, I always identified myself uh, as a reporter for the universe. And so here I am, somebody that loves history uh, and you know is is working on um, learning as much as I can about reincarnation which has ended up being my passion. Uh, and here is this, um, this soul still inhabiting a body somewhere on, on this earth. And I thought, what a story. Um, what, I knew that he did not fulfill the, the, the prophecy that, that Casey had given for him because uh, we would have been living in a totally different world. But I wondered what sort of an impact did that have on that child? growing up with knowing that, knowing his past lives, knowing, you know, some this heavy burden that was, was on him in terms of what he was expected to accomplish. And 
just out of curiosity, I really wanted to to meet him and and learn more about him. Well, that didn't happen for many many years. Um, there were all kinds of roadblocks thrown up in front of me where I wasn't able to reach him or even know where he was. Um, people who knew him who were in a position to introduce me wouldn't do it, refused to do it, told me to just forget about it, let it go. And I thought, hmm, red flags, I wonder what that's all about. <laughs> so, um, uh, you know, I knew his reading number, all the people that had were fortunate to have a reading by Edgar Casey were assigned a number that was to protect their anonymity. And TJ's number was 1208. So I, as a member of the ARE, you could um, have access to the readings. And I looked up his reading, and um, that even got me even more fascinated. So I, I had this in my head that I really wanted to, uh, to meet him and write about him. And the more I found out about him, the more I wanted to do it because he had, um, he had gotten this bad boy reputation. Uh, around the ARE, he was a source of embarrassment for them. And um, I later learned that a lot of people were holding it against him that he didn't fulfill Casey's prophecy and uh, totally blamed it on him and his lifestyle, um, somewhat of a a hippie recluse. And um, uh, so I thought, well, wait a minute, nobody's wondering why he didn't fulfill it. They're just... They're, you know, they're dismissing him because he didn't do it, but they're not asking the right questions. They're not asking what happened, why didn't this happen, why didn't this work out. So that's what prompted me. Um, and when we finally met, um, you know, I uh, even after we met, you know, the, the subject of a book didn't come up. It didn't come up really till like nine years later. And uh, and then finally, because we had we met, we we started a friendship and then we had life events happen to both of us that that separated us for quite a few years and then we came back together again in uh, 2009 and um we um you know I mentioned to him I said I would really love to talk to you about the years your years with Edgar Casey because up until that time he never talked about it to anybody I mean, this just wasn't a subject he shared with anyone. But I somehow convinced him, you know, I said, let me, let's just talk about this. So we talked about it, and I interviewed him, and then I started to do little uh, gatherings of ARE members who, uh, you know, totally accepted him for who he was um, and um, were fascinated by him. And we had little conversation groups going. And then I recorded those, and then based on all of that, um, started to put a book together and got his permission to uh, look up his files in the archives in Virginia Beach at ARE headquarters. And I did that, and uh, and it, it was a, about an eight-year um, project from beginning to end. Um, the book must have been rewritten about half a dozen times. Um, and then finally it came out, and I'm really proud of it. Well, now, um, when you talk about um, TJ, and when we say TJ, we're talking about Thomas Jefferson Davis, and and, mm-hmm. and so TJ stands for Thomas Jefferson. 
Right, and Edgar Casey named him that. So, um, what might not be evident, evident so far in the conversation <coughs> is how uh, integrated TJ's life was in his early years with Edgar Casey. Can you tell us how close those two were in his Oh my goodness. Early years? Um if you just look at the pictures in the book, you could see the enormous amount of love that Casey had for this child and then read the letters that Casey wrote about him uh which are uh, throughout the the book. Um first of all, you know, TJ wanted to be a part of the Casey family. But his soul, he said his soul looked in on the Casey's and it was it was a little late because they were already too old to have children. And so he thought, well, I'll come in through my Aunt Gladys, who's Casey's secretary, but she wasn't married or having children. So he thought, I'll come in through Gladys's brother Boyd and his wife Berlin. He said because he knew they wouldn't want him. They were both gamblers, both alcoholics. And the last thing they wanted was a baby, but, you know, here he comes. He comes in through them. And uh, sure enough, um, you know, after he was born, he, he said he'd been sloshing around in a womb filled with nothing but alcohol. And he, when he came out, he said the doctors only gave him three days to live. Uh, he said he was he looked like a piece of wood when he came out. He was all dried up. And um, so Casey, of course, was come and collected about this and told Gladys, see if the parents will let you bring him to me and I'll take care of him. And she she did and they did. And Casey did a reading and said, you know, to give him uh, carnation milk and he would be fine. And they did and he was. And then after that, um, the first eight and a half years of TJ's life, he spent on and off living with um, where Gladys was taking care of him. And so he had access to Casey. He lived in the Casey households with Casey and his wife uh, Gertrude and of course Gladys was there and um and that was his life he he had this enchanted life living with uh with the Caseys and uh uh you know Edgar spent an enormous amount of time with TJ um they would go out on the pier fishing from the time TJ could hold a fishing pole which he said he was around 2 and he said, you know, we would go out there and we would talk about reincarnation and the creation story. And he taught me how to read auras. And um, and all through the book, T.J. talks about some of the incredible things that he witnessed living in the Casey household. That, let's face it, just did not happen in an average American household, which T.J. didn't know growing up. And it was a little bit of a shock to him to find out that his friends didn't have these kinds of experiences. But Casey tutored him. He was his mentor in in, uh, in every sense of the word, uh, pouring into the vessel of this little boy all the wisdom uh, that Casey had. And um, it was just an incredible relationship. T.J. used to say, you know, if you were to eavesdrop on one of our conversations you would have thought we were 10,000 years old he said because we were <laughs> he said that's how we t- we talked about the pyramids and how how Casey built the pyramids and uh, you know we talked about levitation we, and he said it was just like an, unlike anything any kind of an education that any other child um, his age would have received that- that's a curious story for his soul to look at ways to incarnate in the 
Edgar Casey dynamic and, and and pick gambling alcoholic parents. You know, the, right? It, you you were mentioning how you had some pushback from ARE members, and when we say ARE, we mean the Association for Research and Enlightenment. The mm-hmm. uh, <clears throat> um, the <clears throat> excuse me, the notion of judgment from an ego saying this is good or this is bad just has no merit in the spiritual world at all. What comes to mind is a blind heroin addict. A blind heroin addict, and our egos can say, well, nothing good can come from that, but turns out Ray Charles moved the world with his music. Mm-hmm. And, and so the the mechanism of spirit the choices of the soul doesn't have to make sense to the ego. So mm-hmm. now, um, Edgar Casey passed away when TJ was what nine? Almost nine. He was about eight and a half. Mm-hmm. Was that um, was that expected? Um, I'm, I'm not familiar with how Edgar passed. Um, no, it was not expected. They he had become ill, and um, uh, but they expected he was going to make a full recovery. Some of the letters I was reading um, prior to his death, um, they said he was in bad shape, but they fully expected him to recover. So, uh, you know, and um, TJ said that uh, when he uh, toward the end there, uh, Mr. Casey called him into his room and he. He said to him, "Well, things, uh, you know, things aren't going to work out the way I thought they were, and uh, I won't be able to give you that second reading." See, Edgar had promised T.J. a second life reading when he was 13, and uh, T.J. was anxiously awaiting that reading because he felt that this was going to hold the key to his future. But he never got that reading. Well, now. Let's look at kind of the the narrative of what TJ went through and and perhaps what were the um, deciding factors to um, that decided whether he actually fulfilled this or not. I mean, first, like you had just shared, that Edgar had a second reading for him at thirteen, and he was perhaps. In in a holding pattern until then to to have a more a deeper insight mm-hmm. about how his life was going to unfold. How do you think? I mean, how do you even move forward with that at such a young age? Well, that's the thing. See, for him, this was normal for him. This was Gladys would read him his life reading every night as a bedtime story. So. <laughs> He knew about his past lives, and uh, he knew everything that Casey had said in that life reading. He had a lot of um, health readings through the years, so it wasn't like, the, but he only had that one life reading. And there's, you know, there's a difference between those kinds of readings that Casey gave. Um, the life reading is more with, you know, he, he'll reference the past lives, explain, you know, why things are the way they are now, as reference to you know, what what you had done in a previous life to earn that karma. Um, so he only had that one life reading to go on. So in the meantime, you know, Casey was tutoring him 
was teaching him everything that he knew. Now, what I find interesting, and which nobody bothered to even put two and two together, was that in all the time that they sat out on that pier, in case he was teaching him things, supposedly preparing him for the work ahead of him, he didn't talk at all about Thomas Jefferson. He didn't talk at all about the, the, way, the way the world was or, you know, uh, or politics. No, he was teaching him about love. He was teaching him about reincarnation. He was teaching him about souls and how we're attached to each other. Uh, the whole creation story, was, which TJ says is his favorite story, um, you know, so all of that, um, you know, he, he, he taught him, uh, he, he uh, taught him, he saw fairies and elementals in the garden. Casey taught him how to communicate with them. Um, you know, he created this uh, playmate for him uh, that TJ said he could put his hand through her. Um, you know, he he heard Michael the Archangel bellowing through Mr. Casey during a reading one time. Um, saw him levitate somebody. I mean, it, and there were spirits around the house, and plus there were people coming and going and coming and going, all of whom had uh, either... Um, uh, an auspicious past life. Uh, many of them were, had been biblical characters in, uh, in the past, um, and they all knew each other's past lives. It was very normal. Everybody talked about reincarnation the way you would talk about the news on on, on the uh, TV that night, um, and that was the atmosphere that he was that those early years he was growing up in. When when he was with the Caseys, when he was with his mother. It was a completely different situation, but when he was with the Casey's, this is what he was learning. So I don't think during those years that that it, it felt like a burden to him, or it felt like I, I don't think he even understood, you know, what was ahead. What went wrong was that Casey would give readings constantly for the parents and say, in order for him to accomplish this down the road, you need to do X, Y, and Z. You know, his education needs to be this way. Um, you need to raise him this way. Uh, you need to watch out for these things. And they completely ignored that, especially about his education, which, you know, um, which, uh, you know, we could talk about his um, uh, going to that high-mowing school in New Hampshire that Mr. Casey worked so hard to get him in, uh, and then his mother deciding at the last minute, you know, that she didn't want him to go. So there were pivotal moments where you could see you know, his soul was going on this other trajectory. And Casey was not his biological father. Uh, he had no say in in what would happen to this child. It was com- He was completely at the mercy of, of uh, mostly his mother because his father was, was pretty absentee the whole time. So, um, you know, even Gladys was, they were all frustrated. Uh, you know, they, they knew uh, what the possibilities were, and they were just kind of standing back and watching, you know, the mother making these decisions that was pushing him into a whole different direction. Yeah, that's that's so curious because you can think of a life purpose, and especially if if you've had a reading early on in your life by somebody like Edgar Casey that that draws out this this vast vision, you can think of TJ's ego as a, like a lowest common denominator. If the ego bails, then it's it's a difficult thing to bring about. But bringing, bringing in the parent's 
he goes, like you just said, TJ's mom deciding to pull him from the school opportunity. It's it's really a curious dynamic to decide if something actually happens or not, because a lot of what we're talking about here, TJ's just not that old enough to have the wherewithal to do anything by himself. I mean, these mm-hmm. are formative years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then when you consider that Mr. Casey died when TJ was only eight and a half, and at that point, TJ's life just spun out of control. Because with Casey gone, uh, Gladys did not have the time uh, to spend with TJ the way she did before because her whole focus was on saving the readings and keeping the ARE afloat. Um, his father was in in, uh, in the service. He's, he'd been gone for years. He hadn't seen him. His mother, um, you know, different jobs. Then she would be moving. She moved from constantly moving back and forth from Virginia Beach to Ohio where her mother lived and then back again. Um, And so she didn't really take responsibility for him, you know, maybe a few weeks at a time here and there. So then she started to send him to to people to watch. She sent him to her mother in Ohio, put him on a bus, sent him out there. Then when the grandmother died, he went and lived with an aunt and uncle. And then he went and lived with somebody else, and pretty soon the mother had ran out of relatives to watch him, and he ended up with total strangers. So he said, you know, my life went from applause to yawn, um, and he was lost. He, he became uh, a totally lost soul without Mr. Casey's guidance. It was just he thought maybe somebody else at ARE would take him under their wing and and keep him in, in in that tight-knit little group, and that did not happen. And so um, he was just sent from pillar to post. And um, while I am very sympathetic to his plight at from the age of eight and a half to 18, I think at some point, and I've told him this, that he could have said, okay, now I'm an adult. I remember everything that Mr. Casey said. I remember all the, because he read all the readings. I, I remember the readings. I know the work that I'm supposed to be doing, and I can start doing it now. I could do it on my own. Or I can find somebody that would, would you know, tutor me or be with me. And he didn't do that. So um, so at that point forward, once he became an adult, then, you know, the responsibility really shifts back to him, where he could have done that. And, and instead he earned this bad boy reputation uh, and and now he's 85 years old. He'll be 85 on the 21st of this month, and he still has that reputation by some people who who um, who knew him or knew of him uh, during those years in Virginia Beach. So, um, I, and I I also think that um, that that reading was totally misunder misinterpreted. I don't believe. Um, that, that his destiny had anything to do with Thomas Jefferson or any sort of global political initiative. I think that what Mr. Casey was talking about was the carrying on the, the work that Casey had started um, because that's the reason he spent all that time with T.J., uh, teaching him everything that he knew. Now, I mean, T.J. didn't know how to do readings the way Casey did, obviously, but he knew to, he knew how to interpret everything, and he has said to me numerous times. He says, "You know, Joanne, uh, every question that 
humankind has, the answers are in those readings if people would just pay attention and just read them. They'd find their answers, and the whole world would be a different place if everybody was familiar with with that material and applied it to their lives. So I really think that that's what he was being groomed for. I don't think it had anything. I, I think he would change the world by doing that, not by you know, becoming involved in politics or, or whatever. Uh, you know, he certainly wasn't a messiah or anything like that. Right. So perhaps the one-on-one conversations with uh, Edgar in his youth, he he developed a much more solid understanding of the material of the readings with those conversations with Edgar, and maybe mm-hmm. he would have, compiled them or uh, uh, created a platform to to present that information to the world, and that would be the vehicle of of change that Edgar had predicted. Right. I think I think I think Edgar had intended uh, for TJ to to actually have a part in the ARE, uh, and I know there's a, there is a letter that his aunt Gladys wrote uh, when. Um, Edgar's grandson, Charles Thomas Casey, was born, uh, I think he was about six when she wrote this letter, um, and she talked about the different personalities that Charles Thomas had compared to TJ, and she thought that if they combined that together, they would make an incredible force within um, within the ARE. But, you know, as much as TJ wanted to work at the ARE, he was never allowed to, to work there. He was ha- he would have been happy just to work in the garden or mow the grass, and he wasn't um, wasn't given that opportunity. So, uh, so after a while, you know, I mean, even Gladys told him it was breaking her heart to watch him constantly trying to get a job and constantly being told no. He, she said to him, will you please stop asking you know, go do something else. And he had many, many jobs over his life, um, but nothing, nothing came anywhere near uh, what he knew he was really supposed to be doing. And he knew deep down that it was the Casey work. Um, the closest he came to it was working for the Heritage Store in Virginia Beach, where he was um, working with the Casey Remedies there, selling those. Um, but he didn't, um, you know, I mean, now, uh, the few times that I had him speak, um, I could tell you people are mesmerized by him. I think it's the Jefferson aspect of him that draws people to him initially because they're curious. You know, is this really, was this this fellow here, was he really Thomas Jefferson? And if so, I want to hear what he has to say. And so consequently, when he is giving a talk, uh, people hang on his every word. They're mesmerized by him. He still has that charismatic appeal to people. And uh, and I think that that, combined with the message that he gives about the Casey work, I think is where the power is. That's where the transformations take place. But he, you know, he really hasn't, um, hasn't pursued that. Uh, and I, that's why I was hoping that maybe with the book that um, that, that aspect of his his soul's journey is the path he was supposed to take in some ways would would be appeased and um so i don't i don't necessarily even believe my title about unfulfilled destiny i think the book has fulfilled that destiny um if people you know come to know him for who he he truly is on a soul level 
because he's really a very special soul. Well, the charisma that he exudes when he talks seems uh, like a reflection of Thomas Jefferson's persona. Well, mm-hmm. you know, the if if Edgar portrays such a powerful role for T.J. to have in the world, there's a... There's the notion of soul contracts. I mean, TJ mm-hmm. would have, have had soul contracts with perhaps many, many people on the planet to be a vehicle of this change. Uh, maybe I'm off. I don't. I, um, you have the experience of past life and life between life exploration. Would, wouldn't there be a, a soul contract element to the role that he was incarnating to fulfill? Well, I think he had a soul contract with the, those members of his soul family, the, the, the souls that we that he's traveled with from one lifetime to the other, because we do travel together as a pod, so to speak. Uh, we change roles and we change genders, and, and but it's the same souls that are with you lifetime after lifetime after lifetime which is why he wanted to connect with, with Mr. Casey, also with his Aunt Gladys. She had been with him. Gertrude was told she had been with him as well. I know I've been with him before. Um, I had the sole contract with him to write this book. And so um, so I fulfilled my end of the bargain. <laughs> but um, uh, as far as, you know, he's met so many people. He has traveled the world and has had an impact on people, you know, in Greece and in Italy and in Egypt, uh, in Japan. I mean, he's just, um, he has touched the lives of of many people, many of whom remembered him from previous lifetimes. Uh, you know, the Alexander lifetime uh, came up quite a few times while he was traveling in Europe, uh, and um, people reacted to him. Uh, as if he had been their king, <laughs> and he had been, <laughs> but uh, uh, that's not a lifetime he is particularly proud of. So he doesn't, uh, you know, he'll, he'll say things like, "I don't, I don't know why they call him Alexander the Great. There was nothing great about him. He just went around killing people." So he's not real happy about that particular life. Um, but certainly the lives that he is, he has had with. Um, with Mr. Casey. Uh, just to tie into his Alexander life, by the way, that school I mentioned to you about that t- Mr. Casey was, was worked so hard to get him into the high mowing school in, in New Hampshire, that was founded by Beulah Emmett. And Mrs. Emmett had a life reading with Casey, and Casey told her that she had been an associate, like an assistant teacher, to Aristotle. And Aristotle, of course, taught Alexander. So Casey's thinking is, you know, I'll get TJ back with her, so it'll be like Alexander being back with Aristotle's assistant, you know, and that's the perfect place for for him to learn. So all that was kind of in play there, and when that got, um, uh, that whole thing got blown up uh, pretty much by Berlin, um, uh, you know, Mrs. Mrs. Emmett was beside herself. She was just so, and Casey was too. You see, was, they were all so disappointed and heartbroken that um, that this happened. And even and TJ was actually quite resentful of his mother for having done that. 
You know, he said, I don't understand why she was saying she couldn't have me apart from her when I, when all I was, always was apart from her. She didn't want me. And, uh, you know, for her to, to come in and kind of mess up this whole plan, you know, he was really, he said that's the one area of his life that he's most bitter about is is his mother's, uh, um, you know, going against uh, Casey, the, the reading. And they actually had a reading in which they asked Casey's source about the school, and he's, the source said, yes, absolutely, he should go there. So, um, yeah, so there was always hope, even when he was older, that he would end up going there, but that never happened. Wow. Wow. Well, so to if if we think about the role and and there can be speculation in in our what we're talking about, but for him to integrate or refine or create a school or a platform to take the Edgar Casey material and present it in a academic way, so to speak. Um, how could uh, boy? I feel like I'm projecting onto his life right now. But how could at his age, at his age now, could he mm-hmm. take steps to move that forward? Well, he's talked to me many times about um, having some sort of a, a YouTube channel or a, um, you know doing something online that that people could tune into um the problem is uh he lives um like a hermit up on this mountaintop uh with no wi-fi he doesn't own a computer um and um you could barely reach him on phone sometimes so um you know we've talked about it uh i had tried several times to have him do uh, a conversation with TJ kind of the situation with uh, small groups. Uh, um, You know, he's talked about writing books. I had suggested to him um, that he allow me to regress him, and I said, why don't you just, you know, let me do that, and, and we will have your, we will submerge the, T.J. Davis consciousness and bring up the uh, personality aspect that was Thomas Jefferson and let him speak. You speak from from as you, as your pers- past life personality. Just just talk, and uh, and then we will we we can get that out there to people. But um, his you know his lifestyle. Um, over these many many years is one in which he's um you know he he's got a lot of energy in terms of great ideas but in in when he's push comes to shove and and you know it's time for him to put them in action he will he'll backtrack he um you know he won't show up or he won't uh uh he he just won't do it so um, you know, you could lead a horse to water, so to speak. I'm still working on that with him. I haven't given up. Uh, it's just that um, his health now is starting to fail, and uh, I, I'm I'm just glad that the book came out while he was still with us. Uh, but when I talk to him and we talk about 
getting this work out and and reaching a, a larger audience you know he lights up and his eyes light up he he's much more animated he laughs he's he's uh, you know he's a, he's a honestly he's a brilliant brilliant man I mean if you speak with him I would rather if I'm going to be alone on an island with somebody I would want to be with him because he's just he just he's fascinating he's so knowledgeable and he presents material in a way that every single person can understand it he doesn't talk over your head or anything like that and his love for Casey and and, and the work that Casey did is apparent in everything that he says and does and I just feel so strongly that it would be uh, in a tremendous tremendous gift to anybody and everyone who could hear him um you know uh, but how to get that done less honestly is is uh it, it's like easier said than done for sure well the a couple of things that come to mind is uh like a dictator a little audio pocket pocket recorder that mm-hmm might use in a meeting to record the just start it and put it on the table kind of thing um for Mm -hmm. him to at least capture an audio element to that i don't know if he could get into the the minutiae of developing a habit to do that and and the second thought is adding a video component to that is just a camcorder that you'd take on vacation that doesn't need the internet or Thing, but again, it comes back to him doing that. Yeah, yeah. You know, he lives alone, um, and you know, he he's just really um, surviving um, up up there. And um, uh, you know, I think throughout his life, there's been especially women have tried to rescue him, you know. Uh he's very char- still very charismatic with the ladies. He's got a lot of gr- he had a lot of groupies um around him. Uh but it's it's the message, it's the word, it's the the stories that he knows. I have actually recorded him speaking uh and I did a program for the ARE uh here in Charlottesville uh at at our Unity Church and that was a Zoom program, and he, uh, he he's on that one. And we're doing another one June 26th for the ARE group in Chicago. And uh, and hopefully, um, you know, I'll, uh, we're going to uh, a mutual friend's home is going to set up the, the Zoom for both of us to do it. So uh, I'm, I'm working on getting, um, you know, opportunities for us to, to do this to do this together but I feel like I'm racing the clock right now and um but I'm I'm very mindful of it and uh and you know it is what it's going to be uh but just I think having the book out at least is a is something you know for um for people to learn more about him and uh and there's enough of his voice in the book in the last part of the book that I think people will get an essence of his soul by reading that when you look at TJ's life in general, and then you imagine there's a, a, a listener in the audience for the show that is perhaps having the same kind of struggles fulfilling their own um, life purpose, life path, 
What would some some of your observations reflect on what TJ might have done different just in hindsight? I mean, personal attributes or whatnot. I think persistence would be one. Um, he certainly, at any given time, had enough people around him that if he had genuinely wanted to do this work, if he had reached out, uh, you know, there would have been enough of a of a response that that would have kept him going. He didn't have a support system. Uh, um, he didn't have a goal in mind. He he pretty much put all this behind him and didn't think about it. Uh, was afraid to talk about it because you know he said I don't want to say I was Thomas Jefferson. People are going to look at me like I had two heads. So there was that fear factor involved, and I don't want to reveal to you who I am, who I really am. I think if he had, uh, you know, enough enough uh, belief in himself and realized that the journey, the, the, what he was able to do was far greater than uh, on the positive side than any negative karma he was working on in, in this lifetime, and that... Um, Edgar Casey and Gladys were always with him. He, he said that himself uh, to serve as his guides from the other side. So he was getting help on, you know, both sides of the veil here. Um, so I, I really think um, listen to that still small voice within, and, and what guidance are you getting from that voice? And and you know, watch your dreams, watch for synchronicities, and follow them fearlessly. Uh, they won't take you down the wrong path, uh, whereas other aspects of your life may very well do that to you, as they did to him. Do you think that TJ might have had some lifetimes where um, he was punished for his wisdom? A lot of times when, in past lives, when we speak the truth, and perhaps the king doesn't want the truth out. The king will come and, you know, burn us at the stake or whatever, mm-hmm. chop our block off. You mm-hmm. think there might have been some imprinting that said, if I step forward, it, it'll it turn out ugly? Well, you know, that's why I hoped he would allow me to, to do the regression. Because I've I've always said to him, do you believe you were Thomas Jefferson and Alexander the Great because you remember being them or because Mr. Casey said that's who you were? And he's always said it's because Mr. Casey said that's who I am. But he's only referenced the four lifetimes that Casey told him about, and he knew he had been with him in Egypt as well. And um, so if there are any other lifetimes, he's either not aware of them or he just isn't talking about them. Um, you know the the other two the other lifetimes that uh, Casey talked about with him was in addition to Alexander and Jefferson is that he was in Atlantis and when he was in Atlantis he was on the with the sons of Belial which was the group that ultimately caused the destruction of that continent and at the last minute he met the soul that was ended up being Gladys in, in this li- this lifetime. Uh, it fell in love and then became part of the the uh, law of one, which were the good guys. And he helped to save, he helped to colonize um, 
take people from Atlantis and colonize different areas around the globe, and that's in his reading. And the other lifetime was in uh, early France. He helped develop the actual government that France still operates under. So that was like really good practice for found the founding of, of this country. So those are the lifetimes that he actually knows about from what Casey told him. Anything else, um, I've never heard him talk about any other lifetimes. You know, but I'm sure he'd be the first to tell you that, yeah, I'm, that he's positive that something like that may have happened, probably happened to him. Um, but any details, um, uh, we, we absolutely don't know. At least not yet. Right. Well, now... Um, shifting to the work that you do, if I'm uh, if I'm listening to this episode and I feel like I've got some past life minutia or something stirring up in this lifetime, mm-hmm. what kind of um, experiences or benefits can come out of the practice of past life that that you provide? Well, you know, I do regressions online through Zoom. Uh, and I have several different types of regressions. It's all outlined on my website and describes the different the different ones. They all take you to the life that's most impacting you today because you've had hundreds of lifetimes, and but you're not working on issues from all of those in this lifetime. So we go back and we look at the life that's impacting you now. So we will uh, explore that life in great detail, look at the significant event in that life that is the root cause of the issues you're working on now. We'll look at the people from that life who are in your life now. Uh, you know, your last thoughts as your soul left your body because that often sets up another life, the next lifetime. Uh, so it depends on how deep you want to go. There's just a traditional regression. There's a regression with soul writing attached to it. Soul writing is a written form of meditation. So it's writing while you're still in an altered state of consciousness. And that often gives you uh, a lot of the background and detail and advice about the lifetime you've just explored. I do one for physical karma. Uh, So anybody that's suffering from a chronic condition in this life and wants to know if it sources in a previous life, uh, we can look at that. And I do do the the pre-planning life uh, uh, so I'll, we do regression and then we'll go into the afterlife and we'll look at um, everything that you did to plan the life that you have right now so you know that you know you were the orchestra you orchestrated everything that's happening in your life now and for a very good reason for your soul's growth so those are all explained on the website if people are interested there's these, there's even a quiz you could take to find out which regression is right for you and um you know i have an online calendar people could book a session uh right online with me and then uh, then we do them by zoom and they get a written transcript of of the uh, of the regression and also on my website i've got a blog and i've got some case studies and uh you know the information on all of my books is there uh so if anybody's interested um uh just go to joannedebajo.com and take a look why don't you spell that out because you can spell joanne several different ways yeah it's j file. yeah it's j j o a n n e d i m a g g i o dot com nice now we like the baseball the player <laughs> right um 
we've talked about the past life um, work that you do, and you've also got six books out. Is there any other services that you want to mention with our audience? Yeah, I do. I do teach soul writing, which I mentioned earlier. Which, uh, well, that's what my thesis was on. That's something Edgar Casey referred to as inspirational writing, but um, I, I changed the name to soul writing because um, the connotation of inspirational writing or automatic writing wasn't wasn't accurate as to what he was uh, what he was suggesting people do. It's writing in an altered state of consciousness. Anybody can do it. It's like having a 24-7 phone home card to spirit. So, And it can be applied to really all aspects of your life um, if you're having problems uh, and you're, you're seeking guidance from spirit. Uh, the soul writing is, is the way to go. You can get past life information that way. You could develop psychic abilities. You can... Um, uh, well, there's just, there's just so you can get information on esoteric topics. Whatever question you have of spirit, it's similar to what Casey did. You know, he waited for a question and then got the answer. Well, that's what that's what this is all about. You can ask the universe any question you want, and then through the soul writing, you'll get an answer. So it's just writing in an altered state of consciousness and allowing the message to come from above through you, through your soul, and then out on paper. Oh, very nice. Well, an hour can go by pretty fast. I want to thank it you sure for being back on our show. It's always a delight to have a conversation with you. Thank you so much, Les. I appreciate this opportunity. I'm glad we had this this chance, and, uh, and uh, thank you to your listeners for tuning in. We've been talking to Joanne DiMaggio, and again, the topic Tonight is the name of her book, Edgar Casey and the Unfulfilled Destiny of Thomas Jefferson Reborn. You know, we did highlight a particular life here, T.J. Davis, and and the potentials, the potentials of what might have been. And I, I would suggest that even to come into human form and then fulfill any uh, life purpose or life intention because um, it is a lesson in and of itself because our egos, boy howdy, that, that veil, that forgetfulness when you incarnate and you're born and you forget about everything for at least for many of us um there's we forget we forget and then to um if we're psychic enough we can get a pretty clear idea of why we're here but if we're not and many people are not to to get that imprint to get that vision to get the the life purpose if you will that your soul has intended for you and then Bring the ego about, discipline your ego to recognize the purpose, the value, the focus, the intention, and the action to actually bring it into physical form. That's got to be a common life purpose for many, many of us as far as an incarnation. Well, I want to applaud you, the listener spending time 
as you have tonight sharing this episode with us. I want to applaud you for showing up for yourself. You've taken the steps to show up for yourself, and I applaud you for that. It's my life purpose to bring about episodes like this and material to help you recognize how immensely powerful you are as the as a human persona, as the human body, the vehicle, the avatar, if you will, of your soul's intentions here in physical form. We always have more to discover about who we are. We always have more potential that we can tap and bring into physical form. And again, it's my pleasure to provide these kind of opportunities that help you accomplish that in your own life. I'm your host, Les Jensen. Always a pleasure. Until next time, thanks for listening. This has been a New Human Living Radio broadcast. To bring your soul's inspiration into effect and live your life wide open. Check out our host, Les Jensen's book, Citizen King, The New Age of Power, at newhumanliving.com. Thanks for listening.